0: The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSradio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now, your host, Scott Walker. Time right now, 8.15. You're listening to WGNS again on this Thursday morning and with us in studio, attorney John Day. How are you this morning?
1: Fantastic, Scott. I hope you are. I,
0: I am. It's not super hot out there yet. Still feels good. So maybe it won't get up to, I don't know, maybe it won't reach 100 today. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. 90 feels nice and cool compared to 110 degree heat indexes. You're exactly right. So what's been going on? with uh i I don't know as far as courts go and COVID
1: 19 is is stuff back to normal yet it's it's back to normal most places in the state of tennessee uh where there's still a backlog uh quite frankly where cases were uh couldn't get a a trial uh date in many many courtrooms because of covid that's now people are starting to catch up on that But some counties still are operating at a reduced capacity. Shelby County, for example, isn't quite back up to full speed yet. It just sort of depends on the locale and the number of cases they had and and their attitude towards uh, COVID-19.
0: Again, Attorney John Day with us this morning with offices in Nashville and Murfreesboro. And some of the things we'll talk about this morning, personal injury and then also wrongful death cases, uh, personal injury. I, I bet that's one that you see a whole lot of.
1: Well, that uh, that and wrongful death work is uh, primarily what I've done for now. Believe it or not, forty-one years. And yes, uh, you know the the fact of the matter is, uh, bad things happen all the time, and people get hurt, and people lose their lives, and and of course, not every time, but sometimes people are uh, responsible for causing that, and. Uh, People contact us and ask us to help them, and we're honored to do it.
0: And and folks listening, I would prefer if they text in, but you can call as well. It's 615-893-1450 if you have a question for Attorney John Day. In wrongful death cases and in injury cases, I'm sure a lot of the clients, they're, they're hesitant at first, on you know, should I go this route of filing a lawsuit because I have, let's say, for example, all these bills that are sitting here in front of me? Um, but you know, if somebody should be held accountable, then it makes
1: sense to go that direction. Well, first of all, let me point out that many times a lawsuit isn't even necessary. Uh, Quite frankly, uh, at least 50 percent, maybe even a little higher, percentage of uh, our cases are resolved without a lawsuit being necessary. So yes, and I quite frankly, I understand it. People are reluctant to file a lawsuit; they don't want to put the time into it. They feel uncomfortable with it. But the good news is, many times we can get things uh, resolved without a lawsuit. But sometimes it is necessary, and in fact, Tennessee law requires that a case be filed if it isn't settled that a case be filed within one year of the date the injury occurred and and that means we have to file some cases that would could probably be resolved without a lawsuit but we simply have run out of time to get them resolved and in those cases uh, you know litigation is going to happen and there may be a trial and the question a person has to ask themselves before they hire a lawyer or file suit is do I think that the person who I believe caused this should be held accountable for what they've done or am I willing to accept the financial and other consequences of somebody else's mistake and and some people quite frankly decide I just don't want to go through it I'm willing to accept those consequences myself and other people say no I I think that personal responsibility is important. This wasn't my fault. This was somebody else's fault. And I'm going to rely on the legal system to uh, hold uh, that person accountable.
0: You know, I'm curious. I I know you said the black and white of the law is you have 12 months to file that suit after an injury occurs. But what if it's a situation, because I know you deal a lot with medical malpractice issues, but what, what if it's a situation where somebody has a surgery they start to get sick several months later, and then by you know the, the following year, let's say, 13, 14 months down the road, uh, the new doctor that they're seeing determines, well, we have to have this surgery, and then when they go in for the surgery, they realize, well, the first surgery was done totally wrong, and this is why you felt so bad over the last 16 months to two years. What, what do you do in that case?
1: Well, the law accounts for that, so let's start with the general rule, and I would encourage uh, everyone listening to assume that the general rule applies unless some lawyer says it doesn't, because what I'm about to tell you is extremely complicated. So (sighs) the general rule is you have one year, 365 days, to bring a claim from the date of a negligently caused injury if the person who is injured dies, it's not one year from the date of death, it is one year from the date of injury. Hmm. So, there are a couple exceptions to that rule. The exception that you alluded to is called the discovery rule. And the discovery rule says that you have one year from the date you knew or reasonably should have known that you were a victim of, in this case, a medical error. So let's take a very simple example. Assume that somebody goes in for abdominal surgery. Uh, They come out of the surgery feeling fine. Uh, They feel fine for the first two weeks, three weeks. And then they begin to have problems with their abdomen. Maybe uh, it just doesn't feel right. Maybe they've got other symptoms, diarrhea, constipation, something like that. And it goes on. And... People are The doctors are reassuring them uh, that everything's going to be just fine. And then 13 months later, uh, they double over in pain and end up in the emergency room. And an x-ray is done, and it is determined that a sponge, what people call a sponge, what doctors would call a lap pack or another fluid-soaking device, has been inadvertently left in the abdomen during the first surgery. And this stuff really happens. Well, it happens More than- hundreds of times in the United States every single year. I myself have had at least 10, maybe 15 of those cases. Wow. Um, with just the sponge being left behind. So if the com- the general rule applied one year from the date of incident, remember I said that it wasn't discovered until the 13th month. Yeah person would be out of luck and the law recognizes that that would be unfair so the law says it's one year under those circumstances one year from the date that you discovered or reasonably should have discovered that you had been injured by a medical error and so under the facts that i gave it would be one year from the date that the sponge was discovered on x-ray not one year from the date it was removed (laughs) one year from the date that you were told that there is a foreign object in your abdomen by a doctor that was picked up on by an x-ray okay now eh? that's a very simple example there are much more complicated examples uh that and that's this is why i gave the caution cautionary words that i did at the beginning of this uh discussion it is the discovery rule is extremely hard to apply judges have tr- problems with it lawyers have problems with it and that's why I urge listeners not to think about the discovery rule and and think they may have more time than the original one year if you think you've got something going on that is directed to uh, related to a uh, medical error or a possible medical error you should talk to a lawyer as soon as you can and let he or she decide whether the discovery rule applies
0: it's wild that cases like that occur cuz i would say and i'm guessing this is what happens the body sees that foreign object as uh, an infection and tries to fight it and then that's where the sickness comes from
1: yeah it it attacks the for, you know the body is 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 a miracle (laughs) in every sense of the word and it attacks the foreign object it also the the foreign object can become adhered to your intestines if it's left in the intestines and it can so I, i remember one case i guess this was 15 years ago where someone lost three foot of their intestines because the only way to remove the sponge was to cut it off the intestines. When you start cutting on the intestines, you've got to make sure that there are no holes, that you don't leave a leak because then contents from the bowel can go into the abdominal cavity and you can get really, really, really sick. So sometimes they actually have to remove a portion of the intestine and tie it back together because of a foreign object being left in believe it or not it's sort of interesting story i got two calls in one week from uh, two different people who had a sponge left in their chest when a pacemaker was put in so when they put in a pacemaker they cut a little pocket in your chest put the pacemaker in and a sponge is used to soak up excess fluid blood whatever during the procedure same doctor same hospital Two different patients. There is obviously something wrong with the process in that case. But that little sponge resulted in an infection setting in, which results in you getting sick. The good news is the doctors recognized it, went in, pulled it out, and there were no long-term consequences. But it did still require another operation, another recovery time, et cetera.
0: Operations are not fun.
1: (laughs) Well, I, I was telling a friend of mine the other day who was saying that, uh, his wife was getting ready to have a minor operation. And I said, well, "You know the minor surgical what a minor surgical procedure is." He said, "No, what's that?" I said, "That's an operation that somebody else is having. That's a minor <laughs> one." Uh, I uh, I have knock on wood uh, avoided uh, any sort of medical procedure that was invasive since I was ten years old, and wow. I, I hope to uh, continue to avoid it. I hope so. With us again
0: this morning, attorney John Day. And if you have any questions for him, text him. text us at 615-893-1450 now we have several questions here Uh, one of these I'll I'll try that I'll do the first one that does focus on uh, the issue of being injured because that's one of our topics this morning this one says my son broke his arm while on vacation with his friend's family they were out of town and took him to the ER and now they continue to hound me over the twenty two hundred dollar bill which they paid because they took him to an urgent care clinic and claimed the clinic asked for payment up front. I found out later he broke his arm while the parents were sitting around drinking, not watching the kids, ages 10, and there's 11. Am I responsible for this? That's a uh, uh, that's a tough question, I, I guess. But first of all, I don't know of urgent care clinics that require
1: $2,200 up front. I guess I would question that first. Well... Uh- I don't know either, but it doesn't shock me if, um, for instance, they didn't accept the medical insurance that the people had with them, or they didn't have the medical insurance card for the child, and they wanted to make sure that they didn't have to hassle somebody from out of state, for example, to come back and pay the bill. So I guess I'm not as surprised by that as you are. Um, Back to the original facts. I don't know enough to know whether that bill is the responsibility of the caretakers or rather of the parent. My gut tells me the parent, and I'll tell you why. First of all, under the law, parents are responsible for medical bills for minors. And that's the default. You are responsible for the medical bills of your own children. The fact that your child was in the custody of somebody else when the medical bill was incurred doesn't relieve you of that responsibility, that is to pay the medical bills for your child, unless the people, uh, the caretakers negligently caused the child's injury. So, if, for instance, it was a car accident and the caretakers were negligent, that is, they negligently, carelessly, whatever word you want to use, caused the car accident, then they would be responsible for the bills. But here it sounds like the argument is a potential negligent supervision of a 10-year-old. So that is a really fact-specific question. Uh, I'd have to know a whole lot more about the facts to give an opinion uh, on that because we all know that you can't have your eye on kids 24/7 365 it's impossible and the kids don't want you to have your eye on them <laughs> that, that right they don't <laughs> so so it is a you have to act the caretakers would have to act reasonably under all of the circumstances and therefore the circumstances are important one last thing it the it sounds to me like the medical attention was necessary. Definitely. In other words, it wasn't that the caretakers were incurring medical expenses without good reason. They were out there acting in the best interest of this child trying to get him or her medical attention. So I don't think that they can be faulted for taking the child to a doctor. Uh, you know, that's in fact that's what you would want your neighbor Definitely. to do, right? Yeah. So Uh, I I guess the bottom line is this. The devil is in the details in determining whether or not there was reasonable supervision. Definitely. Again with us this morning, Attorney John
0: Day. If you have questions regarding perhaps an injury or an accident, you can text those in. Wrongful death suits, that's another area that we're covering this morning. You can text those questions at 615 893-1450. Eight nine three fourteen fifty. 1450 Now, here's another question. We'll get to this one. Then after this, we'll do a break real quick. Do you ever have repeat clients, maybe some that have had multiple and different incidents happen? And how do you represent those types of clients? And that makes me think, you know, there are some people out there that just have bad luck.
1: I have said to more than one client, I'm glad to represent you, but I never want to be in your car. <laughs> you just have bad luck you know as a gentle joke so the fact of the matter is uh, people some people do get hurt multiple times and let's use car wrecks for an example and i may hear from somebody i represented 25 years ago 30 years ago i mean it's people you know we like to think we give good service Uh, People will remember us, and if they need us again, they will call. So the way we represent them is the same way we would represent somebody who came right off the street and asked us to help them. Uh, We want to know whether there were any prior injuries, any prior accidents, any prior medical conditions that were aggravated by reason of the new incident. Now, for the former client, we would know that. (laughs) We would know that... Oh, in the year 2000, we represented this person in an injury a case where they were rear-ended and they hurt their neck. Fast forward to 2022, this person is being rear-ended. We represented them in a prior neck injury claim. What is the new injury? Well, this time it may be a broken arm. If it's a broken arm, the prior neck injury doesn't make any difference, right? Yeah, so I, I don't what? think. Yeah. Uh, if it's another neck injury, then we're dealing with what we call in the law a pre-existing condition. And our obligation would be to show that the second wreck worsened the prior injury. And if so, how much did it worsen the prior injury? Now, maybe that that uh, our former client from the year 2000, Uh, Went to the doctor, uh, went to the emergency room after the wreck in 2000, saw a doctor afterwards, had six weeks of physical therapy, and was fine. Never saw another doctor. Well, they don't have much of a pre-existing condition, do they? Because they were treated and recovered, and everything worked out the way that it should have. But some people do have a lifelong problem, and when they get into another wreck and hurt the same body part, then we're our responsibility is to try to figure out if we can prove whether the pre-existing condition was aggravated. And if we can show that, then a court or a jury can award money for the degree of aggravation. And if we can't, then they won't. Yeah. Again, with us this morning, Attorney John Day, you know,
0: we're going to head to a break in just a second, but we're talking about accidents, injuries, car wrecks. I'm curious, do you think there's going to be an increase in car accidents once fully autonomous vehicles are fully allowed across the U.S.? Because that's something, in fact, this past weekend I saw a news story on autonomous vehicles and how, you know, that some think they're going to be safer than the way we,
1: we drive ourselves. Well, boy, there's a big question. Let me, let me answer short-term and long-term short term uh many of us thought that autonomous vehicles would be more prevalent today um th- thought five years ago that be more prevalent than they actually are today the fact of the matter is they are not yet ready for prime time my car is an autonomous vehicle uh, i tried to use the autonomous function on the way over here this morning uh, on the interstate i it it shut itself off after 15 miles for no reason whatsoever. Hmm. Okay, and this is a constant problem with, with that I have with my autonomous vehicle. Uh, and we've heard lots of problems about Teslas, uh, in particular, having difficulty operating in the real world. So, but let's fast forward 40 years and let's assume that they work. Um, that would be great (laughs) because if they really really do work if the if the the artificial intelligence is ultimately built into those vehicles can prevent injury and death so much the better the struggle is in the next 40 years because today the average vehicle in the united states is 11 years old Hmm. okay so that means that half the vehicles are more than 11 years old and half of them are less than 11 years old that means we couldn't have fully autonomous vehicles in this country until after 2033 assuming that everybody who wanted to replace their vehicle would in fact replace it with an autonomous vehicle now i know you're a car nut (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, you like to drive. I do. My guess is that you wouldn't switch for for an autonomous vehicle. You might, if you had extra money, have one to play with on the side, but in day to day use, you would want to drive your regular vehicle. I would, for sure, yeah. And there are millions and millions of people like you. So. That's why I say I, p- I picked 40 years or maybe use it for 40 years. Yeah, we're not going to see it before then where we're completely autonomous. And even then, I don't know. I have
0: noticed the younger generation, they're not into cars the same as, as I was when I was in
1: high school. Well, sure. I mean, and, and you know, every generation uh, has its uh, idiosyncrasies, right? But I, I You talk about affordability issues. You talk about the desire to be made in full control, or at least to think you're in full control. You talk about um, price. I mean, there's lots of things that are going to impact how quickly autonomous cars become a 100% component of all cars on the road. Until that's taken care of, until we have that, and we may never have it, we are going to continue to have um, wrecks.
0: Again, Attorney John Day on air with us this morning. If you have any questions for him, text us at 615-893-1450. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And the topic of discussion, wrongful death cases and also personal injury cases. Uh, So try to focus your questions on that. 615-893-1450. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City inviting your family to come do business with my family Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. If you're a pet lover, come see us at Animal City. We have 8,000 square feet of pet products and pets for you to enjoy. Here at Animal City, we carry a full line of pet products to help your pets stay healthy, happy, and well. Animal City is Murfreesboro's longest-running and only family-operated pet store. Come see us at Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro.
1: Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for
0: on-demand podcasts In iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at wgnsradio.com.
1: Hello, this is Austin Maxwell, and I am asking for your vote for Murfreesboro City Council. Having served our country for over 20 years in the military, I am volunteering to serve again as your servant leader on your Murfreesboro City Council. A vote for me ensures that you will have a voice on the council working for you. Early voting begins July 15th, and Election Day is August 4th. Let me go to work for you by voting for Austin Maxwell for Murfreesboro City Council.
0: Paid for by Austin Maxwell for City Council. Austin Maxwell Treasurer. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come see us for all your home lawn and garden needs. We have a great selection of Carhartt clothing. We also have wonderful unique gift ideas, our Melissa and Doug educational toys, and if you're needing things for your garden, we'd have everything you need to help those gardens grow. Come on over to the Co-op Farm and Home Center, just off of South Church on Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Please come see us at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon, a high in the low 90s, northeast winds of five to ten miles per hour, tonight mostly clear alone near sixty-six. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Voichitsky on News Radio WGNS. Currently it's sixty-six. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSradio.com. Time right now, 841. You're listening to WGNS. And attorney John Day, who practices in Murfreesboro, Nashville, throughout Middle Tennessee, uh, all over the place probably, is on the air with us this morning. Now, if you have a case that you know, started elsewhere, let's say in Memphis or somewhere, but yet that person has ties to, to Tennessee or Murfreesboro or Nashville.
1: How do you go about handling stuff like that? Are you talking about being able to represent them efficiently or where a lawsuit would be filed or which aspect of Yeah, that? if,
0: let's say, it was an accident that happened in Memphis, but yet they live in Nashville, so they went to you because... You're closest to them they know your name uh, can you
1: represent them in Memphis yes I mean we we represent people who live in Middle Tennessee and are heard in Memphis or Mountain City or uh, or quite frankly anywhere in the country uh, we can handle that case uh, from our offices in Middle Tennessee if the case happened out of state we need to get another lawyer involved from that state to actually file a lawsuit and do legal work in that state and when we do that uh, we we share our fee with that lawyer in other words it doesn't cost the client any more money to work with us and have us work with a lawyer from florida so uh, with from another state so for instance Lots of people from Middle Tennessee tend to vacation in, in the Destin area and, and along the Florida Panhandle or, or down in Lower Alabama, and they get hurt in car wrecks. We've represented lots of people from Middle Tennessee with claims that if they had lawsuits had to be filed, they would have to be filed in Florida, Alabama, and we do that without, without a problem.
0: Again, attorney John Day with us. His next question it says they broke their collarbone and femur in a accident involving a drunk driver about four months ago the man has not yet been to court but where do i stand on this legally should i file something with the courts and i guess they're asking i'm assuming they probably want help paying the medical bills and loss of work i don't know but what what
1: does happen in those types of cases well that's i mean that's quite frankly something we do every single day So, you know, unfortunately, there's lots of drunk drivers on the road, and uh, some of them cause wrecks. And when they do, uh, they're responsible for the harm that they cause. So uh, the person making the inquiry has what is known as a civil claim uh, against the drunk driver. Uh, Hopefully, the drunk driver has insurance coverage that can be used to help pay medical bills, help pay... Uh, reimbursed for loss of income that sort of thing but there is a claim that can be asserted against the drunk driver there's also criminal charges that are brought by the state of tennessee against the drunk driver and of course the victim of the crime the caller here the inquirer here has uh, an interest in that but that court proceeding doesn't do anything about the civil rights that the injured person has against the drunk driver and that's the type of case quite frankly where uh, i would recommend that the inquirer uh, call an experienced personal injury lawyer and get some help navigating through that process
0: so in the criminal side of that for that dui charge is there restitution that the victim can ask for in that criminal court
1: sometimes there's restitution uh there but the restitution if it's awarded usually is only for medical bills it usually does not include loss of income it does not include any future medical bills that may be incurred in the following years it does not include any money for pain and suffering okay and then there's the issue of collecting it from the drunk driver if the drunk driver has insurance you can go this civil route and collect that way. If the drunk driver doesn't have insurance, you can go through the civil route and collect from the injured person's own uninsured motorist carrier, a special type of insurance that most of us have on our cars. Mm -hmm. So there's, But once again, and I've obviously got a bias here, this is what I do for a living, so I'm going to recommend that this person seek the help of a lawyer. But in my heart, I am telling you, this is the type of case where somebody who's in this position, needs help from a lawyer to get through the process.
0: But now, most auto insurance carriers, they only insure another motorist up to a certain amount when
1: it comes to medical bills, right? A certain amount when it comes to everything. So in Tennessee, the state minimum amount of insurance that uh, somebody carries on their car is $25,000 per person, $50,000 per accident. What that means is... If a drunk driver is going down the road and causes a wreck and hurts one person, and they have the minimum amount of insurance required by law, that insurance company will only pay up to $25,000. If the drunk driver hurts two people, then the insurance company will pay up to $25,000 per person, but no more than a total of $50,000, right? Hmm if the drunk driver hurts three people, so they hit a car with three people in, the drunk driver's insurance company will pay up to $25,000 per person, but no more than 50000 for the wreck. So, if a drunk driver hits three people in a car and each one of them has $25,000 in medical bills, the drunk driver's insurance company only has to pay $50,000. Wow. And then you are either on your own, you have to go against the drunk driver, or you rely on your underinsured motorist insurance coverage that you purchased when you insured your own vehicle. Here's a scary statistic. And people who have heard me over the years have heard me repeat this. If so, I say this before. I, I, I don't mean to repeat it, but it's important. As you're, some of you are driving right now. And you're, there's a, almost by definition, there's a car coming toward you in the opposite lane. Um, one out of every five of those cars the dr- is uninsured. Wow. One out of five. 22% of the people on the roads in the state of Tennessee, notwithstanding the legal requirement that they have liability insurance on their car, have no insurance. So one out of every five folks, and depending on the neighborhood you're driving in, it can be better or worse. So if you are driving in Shelby County, for example, over forty percent of the drivers there do not have insurance.
0: That, well, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, you, you it's crazy. Pull into a parking lot of hundred cars,
0: and, and what forty of them are without insurance. In Shelby, in County, Shelby County, it would
1: be it would be it, around here, it would be twenty-two so you go out you go out here to the avenue right yeah and there's 22 now once again we all know how numbers work i'm not saying there's 22 i'm saying on average there would be 22 people out of 100 who don't have insurance and that is why uninsured motorist coverage is so so important that you get with your own liability coverage on your car because so many people don't have insurance, and if they have it, they don't have enough.
0: It's scary to think there's that many people, though, without insurance. And then on top of that, you know, medical fees are high anyway. 25000 would not cover a lot these days.
1: $25,000 not does not cover the cost of the helicopter to take you from here to Vanderbilt.
0: And that's often used in
1: serious auto accidents. It's... Some you can make an argument that sometimes it's used when it shouldn't be, but I'm sure. Yeah, I, you know, I I I say that, but I I don't want people to misinterpret that. I think everybody who anybody who calls in a helicopter is is acting in good faith. They're not trying to run up a bill. They're saying, what can we do to. St- give this person the best opportunity to to save their life or save their leg or whatever it is. And they make the decision to call that helicopter sometimes with the benefit of hindsight, maybe it wasn't necessary, but the fact of the matter is if you're in a car wreck, you will not be making that decision. Yeah. (laughs) That decision is going to be made by trained health professionals who once again, I, I believe that they have your best interest in mind and, they're going to be pushing the button that says we spend this 25 35 45 55 60000 bucks to help save your life and you know at the end of the day you're on the hook for it where your do, health insurance is we, we've got a couple of questions that are not personal
0: injury related we can get to those but on top of these questions what do you do when you hear about folks who say well I had to sue my own auto carrier insurance company because They wouldn't cover this, this, and this in the wreck that I had that was somebody else's fault. Because you always hear about people saying, I had to sue my own insurance company to get help.
1: Yeah, well, this is something that is hard for many, many people to understand. Uh, Let me uh, explain how I tell people this every single day and what I do. When you buy car insurance for yourself, for your vehicle, one of the things you buy is uninsured motorist coverage. And what your insurance company is promising to do is to pay you benefits under the policy in the event you are hurt in a wreck that wasn't your fault and the driver who caused the wreck is uninsured. So it's sort of like homeowner's insurance. If you're, uh, you buy homeowner's insurance and your homeowner's ins- your home is struck by lightning and it burns to the ground, your homeowner's insurance has to pay. Why? Because they said they would. (laughs) They collected money and said that if your home is burned uh, down by lightning or whatever other cause, most other causes, we will pay for it. Now, the lightning wasn't the insurance company's fault, (laughs) but they promised they would take care of it. They would assume that risk. The same thing is true with car insurance. insurance company sells you an insurance policy that says listen we're not only going to protect you if you cause a wreck we're going to protect you if somebody else who doesn't have insurance causes a wreck and hurts you so people get all upset that oh no my my insurance company they shouldn't have to pay this it wasn't their fault that's right it wasn't but they said they would and therefore they should and uh, But at that point, your insurance company becomes adverse to you, even though you paid the premium. And even though you are the insured, they are holding money that you are staking a claim to. You have to prove that you're entitled to the money. They would just as soon part with as little of it as they can. In fact, and this shocks people, if you're hit by a drunk driver who doesn't have any insurance, the insurance company, your insurance company, will hire a lawyer for the drunk driver. Wow. Yeah. Why, why do they do that? Because the, they're trying to reduce the amount of money that they have to pay, and therefore they appear in court, and they can appear in the court in their own name or in the name of the drunk driver, and say the wreck wasn't the drunk driver's fault, or the wreck didn't cause these injuries, or the person who was injured in the wreck had some pre-existing injuries, or, yeah, the person who's injured in the wreck are insured, uh, was injured, but they're not hurt as bad as they say they are, or they're asking for too much money, give them less. And they will make arguments in court against their own insured. That's why a person needs... The help of an experienced personal injury lawyer even if the claim is against their own insurance company that's interesting well it i think it is and quite frankly the system works pretty good there's some quirks in uninsured motorist law that nobody here would be interested in except maybe a few people out at the state farm headquarters tonight <laughs> they're already at work i'm sure uh but uh it is a it is a good system because it allows drivers to protect themselves from the risks of getting injured by a uninsured or underinsured driver. The problem is most people listening and now lots of people not listening don't understand it. They don't mm-hmm. understand how important it is because some insurance agents don't sit down and have the conversation I just had with you and with them, right? Yeah. 22%, one out of every five drivers. And I hope, I hope that there's somebody driving down the road right now who has heard that and they're counting those cars coming at them and thinking, is it this one? Is it that one? Is it the sixth one? And what can I do to protect myself and my family from the risk of getting hit by somebody who does not have insurance and the answer to that question is talk to your insurance agent and ask him or her to explain to you uninsured motorist coverage and how much it actually costs because it is ridiculously inexpensive I
0: remember when I was 16 I was in a head-on collision in my car and the person that hit me, they were at fault, and they did not have insurance. They were in a fairly new model Cadillac, so you can't always judge by the type of car the person's driving if they have or don't have insurance. But thankfully, I had uninsured motorist coverage, and it paid for uh, my vehicle. I, I wasn't injured. In fact, nobody was really injured at right. it. Uh, but yeah, it was. Both cars were totaled, and amazingly. I, it, it is wild looking back that I wasn't injured, but yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, some you can't tell from the car that somebody is driving whether or not they have insurance because people can make a mistake and not pay their insurance premium. Yeah, The invoice can get lost in the mail. The check paying the invoice can get lost in the mail. I mean, things happen, but that's not what the problem is usually. What it is in Tennessee is people choose not to purchase it. Many people choose not to purchase because they don't have the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they do that, they potentially put you and your family at risk. Definitely. I, I know this next
0: question is not personal injury related, but let's, let's get to it because it does involve insurance. Now, that's one of the things we've talked about. Uh, it says, my homeowner's insurance company says they're going to drop me due to three claims over the last four years. Uh, All of the claims were out of my control. What can I do about this? Uh, Nothing.
1: You just go with the wind. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is uh, a free enterprise system. And uh, unless there's some sort of discrimination based on race, gender, etc., insurance companies have a right to sell insurance to whoever they want to. And insurance companies have underwriting they call it underwriting principles that is there's things they take into consideration in determining whether to write an insurance policy and if so how to price it and for whatever reason this insurance company has made the decision that if somebody has three claims in four years we're not going to write your only uh, realistic option is to search out a company that will
0: we only have like
1: two minutes left, but I'm going to try to get to this next one. It says, I hurt my
0: knee about 14 years ago at work when I was 42, and now I'm 56. The doctor said my knee was worn out and uh, what and and that what I do on my job has led to my knee being worn out, but if I took him to court, he would say it's just old knees. Now the <laughs> knee is way worse, and I have... I've had a doctor treat it is this employer
1: not responsible or is the employer responsible for my knee injury the employer is going to be responsible for the knee injury only if a doctor says that the injury to the knee is related to on-the-job activities so that injury that occurred 14 years
0: ago when they were 42 now they're 56 uh, that's going to be A no-go, right? Well, it's
1: the ongoing thing that I I hate to say this again, but I I needed to know a little bit more. Yeah, I will say this: if there was a workers' comp claim made 14 years ago by this worker, uh, the law at that time said that you could, uh, if and it was settled, you could quotation marks leave open future medicals. What that means is that it's there may be paperwork somewhere that reflects that the employer would cover future medical expenses to the knee injury even though there's some question about whether the current problem is a current work-related injury or is just as a result of the aging process.
0: And for those listening, if you would like to talk in more detail with Attorney John Day, call his offices at 615-867-9900 or go online to johndaylegal.com. Thank you for joining us
1: thank you very much for having me Scott have a wonderful
0: day you too time right now nine o'clock you're listening to WGNS Murphyssboro of our programming the good neighbor Network WGNS Murfreesboro Smyrna flagship station for MTSU sports courthouse clock time nine o'clock.